once I had a track cut and I had decided to keep it, then I named the track. Oh, cool. Um, and the track would have been named based on what the track was telling me. Like once I had it done and it was set, I'd listen to it half a dozen times and I would say, what is this track telling me? And then I would name it off that. Welcome to Faith in What Resonates, a show that explores the intersection of spirituality and faith, creativity and music, and the ways that we make meaning in the world. My name is Gail Gallagher, and I'm a professional musician and lifelong seeker. I'm a member of the Unitarian Universalist Church, and one of our core principles is that everyone has their own search for truth and meaning. And on this show, I talk to musicians, clergy, artists, and other awesome people about the ways that they make meaning in the world as we explore the magic of the things that resonate. My guest today is Andrea Hawkins Camper, and she is a poet, musician, seminarian, awesome human, and this conversation goes a lot of really fun places. Uh, there's a lot of takeaways about the creative process that I really like, including uh, having some very choice words about how we would uh, describe our muse. Uh, so uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation. We're going to get into it. Um, and actually, I'm going to play a clip of some of Andrea's music going into the conversation. This is the first track of her album, Music for the Wasteland, which is called The Last Transmission. I am here with Andrea Hawkins Camper, and yeah, uh, I'm so excited to to talk to you today. How are you? I am well. It's a little gray and wet here in the Quad Cities, but it is a little brighter by being here with you. So thanks for inviting me on the show. Oh, thank you. Uh, sometimes people tell me I'm a substitute for the sun, and I don't know about that, <laughs> but I will take it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, go ahead and tell uh, the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do in the world. This is like the you meet a friend at the party version, and then we're going to dive real deep. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. I currently serve as a director of religious education out in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, uh, for Unitarian Universalist Church. I am a I am on the path to ordained Unitarian Universalist ministry. I've completed seminary part one. I'm in route to complete seminary part two for my doctorate. Uh, a lot of what I do is focused on healing generational trauma. Hmm. I'm really focused on bringing communities together. Uh, you know, that's that's sort of my professional life. Uh, my personal life is whatever my ADHD demons decide to drag me off into and beat me into a ditch with this week. Oh, no. It's interesting you call them demons. 
I'm on good terms with my demons. Okay, okay. I just i i i ref, i refer to to mine mine as the undiagnosed brain squirrels. So I get it. Um, <laughs> you know, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. <laughs> um, yes, and of course, you're also a musician, and we're going to talk a little bit about your music and stuff today as well. Yep. Um, yeah. So, uh, can you give the listeners the the general like track of your your uh, faith journey, just sort of like the how it started, how it's going, how it started, and how it's going? Okay. Well, it started. You know, my faith journey started with Saturday morning pancakes and Star Trek. Because uh, I grew up in pretty much a, I'll call it a secular home. I won't call it a, you know, an atheist home or an agnostic home. We were just a secular home. Uh, Mom was raised Presbyterian. Dad was raised Baptist. But neither one of them had any particular desire to participate as adults and so Sunday mornings were Star Trek and pancakes and it was fantastic. Uh, then mom discovered Jesus behind the couch one day and well, everything changed. I then spent the last half of my childhood in a Methodist church. Most of my, you know, adolescence and young adulthood was in a, in a Methodist church until I walked away over that, that whole open and about homosexuality clause that they have. Mm. Because they didn't give me a choice. I was on a path to ministry and they said, choose yourself or choose the church. And as a trans person, what was I going to do? And how it's going now is I spent a whole lot of time in the middle, angry, searching, healing, before finally coming back to a place of sort of understanding that there's more than one way to get to the right answer, if there is a right answer. Hmm. But it's more important how we are together as a people in the work we do here on earth than worrying about who's got the right answer to some hereafter. Mm. Um, so how it's going now is I'm focused on helping people figure that part out. Mm -hmm. It's the, maybe you don't have to be right to get along and get shit done. Yeah. I, I, that is the most, uh, Unitarian way of, uh, UU you way of putting it, really. Like, <laughs> so when we were talking before this, we were talking a lot about this idea of the messy middle. Yes. And I love that term so much. And now that I have listened to your album, uh, music, for the wasteland by this uh, restless nomad character, uh, it oh man, there's 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 something in there about the the contemplativeness of the apocalypse yes. that is that is in that album, and so um, I guess um, I want to unpack the 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 messy middle discourse but then i would also love to sort of hear how that connected to the journey of your album and i know that there are specific bullet points and questions in there but i just i'm gonna ask you to riff a little bit and we'll we'll, we'll poke it on the sides sure um so the messy middle when i walked away from 
the Methodist Church. I hurt. At the time, I mean, it was, it, it's really easy to look back on it after, you know, 25, 30 years and say, oh, you know, what did I know? What did I know then? But at the time, the wound that I had felt was as if somebody had ripped my foundations away. Hmm. Uh, and I became very angry at the people that I perceived had done this to me. I, I had not yet evolved to understand that perhaps things happen. And there's a, there's a song that I adore that has the line, when somebody tells you that everything happens to for a reason, don't believe them because there's chaos in the violence. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> say that. Say that again. That... When somebody tells you that things happen for a reason, don't believe them. Because it doesn't mean a goddamn thing because there's chaos in the middle or there's chaos in the violence. Mm -hmm. And there is. I hadn't gotten to that part. So I spent a lot of years as the kind of person that would make Richard Dawkins and the rest of the New Atheists look like the kind of people you would want to have over for a dinner party. I was cruel. I'm still making up for that debt. But as I sort of grew out of that and healed from that and found other paths to walk and discovered other truths, those truths informed my earlier truth and showed me that that earlier truth was still true. It was just the interpretation of it by people that was in error. Just because a person said I couldn't do a thing doesn't mean I couldn't do the thing. I just mean I couldn't do the thing with this label attached to it. Mm. And ultimately, who gives a crap about the label? Mm. And I found a lot of those, and this is part of what we were talking about before, I found a lot of those truths especially resonant after my grandmother passed. Uh, and I found them in the Norse traditions and some of the reconstructionist Norse traditions because of their focus on honoring the lineage of the ancestors and sort of holding up the lessons you learn from them and understanding even though they're gone, they're still there. The lessons are still there. They're still walking with you. They're still moving through this world with you. And how you live is how you honor them. Mm. And then I had more to learn. <laughs> and then I had more to learn. And then if I ever write a memoir, that's that's going to be the title of it. And then I had more to learn. <laughs> well, and... 
that is that is so true to the journey of of having those moments of of yeah like picking up the things that we've learned from from the past and like you know holding these moments in our pocket and taking them on the journey and then also having the humility where it's just like and also there is there there's never a like i have learned everything i have transcended cuz you always come back to the lessons again and again and so it's again that balance and again and again yeah yep. it's that it's that balance of wisdom and uh also i guess humility as it were um and i i've i've in my own cases with the messy middle uh a mantra that i held on to is this idea of like i did not realize this was a chapter book <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yep. Uh so that's that's absolutely that's absolutely beautiful. Um can you unpack sort of what this flavor of Norse mythology is that you were sort of drawn to? Yes. And this comes with a caveat. Okay. Whenever somebody looks into reconstructionist Norse practices, mm-hmm. they are inevitably confronted with any number of things, a lot of which end up being far right wing. Yep. White supremacist bullshit that has no bearing on anything other than to be eradicated from the face of the earth. Mm. The stuff that I, the group that I was involved with was not that. Mm-hmm. This was, it was an Ossetry group um, and a Lokian group to be precise even though they were not formally a Lokian group. Um, but it was that kind of group. It was a troth group, uh, one of the oldest and most respected, well-organized groups in America. What's a what's a troth group? That's the name of the organization. Okay, Gregor Great. Cool. Um, I was, like, making sure there wasn't, like, jargon that I had, like, missed or something. Nope. <laughs> just, the, just the name of the org. Oh, okay, cool. And Lokian is specifically a, a group of folks that follow Loki over what most people do is, you know, Thor or Tyr, one of the other, mm-hmm. one of the other deities. But uh, and Lokian's kind of a bad rabbit for being a little more chaotic than normal. Mm-hmm. That that Among- tracks. <laughs> I was going to say that should probably track with most folks, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know too much about Loki outside of the the, the um, Marvel property, so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even in the sagas, <clears throat> even in the sagas, Loki's role was always a little bit of the, the trickster and the spoiler, but in the, very much in the shadow of the the divine jester, the divine clown, the I am showing you the way we don't do things so that you will do them correctly. Okay. That role. Interesting. So it's, it's, it's this, it's, it's looking at these stories and being like, so this is a chaotic mess and uh, we don't necessarily want to do all that, but here we are. <laughs> here we are. Right. Yeah. Um, interesting. Um, so 
pivoting to the music. Um, oh. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, your your musical journey and sort of how this album came about. Okay. Okay. So the album, Music for the Wasteland, came about because I was, I had written some songs and I wanted to get demos cut of the of the of the songs, uh, and I needed to figure out how to record them. It was something I had never done before, with you know, other than using a phone or a tape recorder. And I hadn't recorded music in years, and I had a Mac, and it was a shiny Mac. And I had a Scarlet 2i2. So I figured out how to use it in Logic and Final Cut. And so I had equipment that I knew how to use. And I was working on figuring out how to cut these other songs. And one day I was sitting in my front room and my downstairs neighbor was gone. She was out doing whatever my downstairs neighbor did at the time. And I had my amp cranked and I was just playing with stuff. And I had this really cool ambient kind of jam thing going. And so I asked my spouse to record it just so I would have it. I could go back and re-record it if I wanted it to. And she did. And the more that, and then I went back and I listened to it and I unpacked it and I listened to it some more. And the more I listened to it, the more I liked it. So I re queued it and I just did a whole bunch of stuff to it so that it would actually be, you know, not recorded on a cell phone. And that track became track two on the album, hmm. which is The Worm. I believe. Yes, yes, yes. In the end, the, in the end, the worm eats us all. Uh, track three. Yes. Uh, track three. Track two, uh, There Are Men Who Will Never See the Dawn, came about because I was playing with overdrive sounds. Mm -hmm. And that's literally a telecaster. It's straight into my audio converter and just overdriven on the console. Um, but the idea for what the music for the wasteland is, is I grew up in the desert. Well, Louisville, Kentucky and Phoenix, Arizona, you know, both and, but the desert, both, you know, memory wise and also philosophically wise and religious wise and spiritually wise is a sacred place. And to me, every time I think about apocalyptic things, you know, that great unveil unveiling of something hidden, it always takes place in the desert. Mm. Like if you go somewhere to learn something about yourself, you go to the damn desert. Mm -hmm. That's where you go. And so I thought, 
especially as I kept putting together more of these little sound experiments, if I bundled them together, what would I call it? What do, what do they have any do they have any worth bundled together? And then I realized they do. And then so the the other tracks, and then in addition four that didn't make it onto the album, were telling a story, hmm. you know, of this journey through a desert apocalyptic wasteland hellscape. Um, and so it just sort of ended up as that. And for me, it was kind of like everything I had always read said you had to go into a studio and drop thousands of dollars to record an album. And you had to have done all these other things before you could even get to that point. And here I am cutting an album in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of dropped it on people. And everybody went, wait, what? <laughs> That's awesome. Like the good, like the, the like mind blown sort of, wait, what? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It, it's really well, like, I think it's, I think it's pretty, it's, it's, it's well mixed and it's very, because it's so experimental with like the different distortion and the things like that, like, uh, it, it, it's it's interesting how it does all come together, but I can't necessarily like suss out like what you know how and what I'm just like this is this is it's just it's real crunchy and it's just like the whole thing has just transcended into this state of crunch, um, in in the best way. I was I will say uh what I was what I was telling you uh, earlier. It's like. Listeners, to describe this album, if you've ever seen Mad Max and there's the, the guy with the electric guitar with the flame shooting out of it, this album is like if that guy, like, made his solo album and, like, yeah. And it's just, it's very, it is simultaneous. It's not relaxing, but it, like, definitely, like, puts you in this this space of... Like, I don't know. It puts you in that contact high space, but also it's like the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll be back to my conversation with Andrea in a moment, but I wanted to briefly tell you about New Faith New Media. This podcast is produced by New Faith New Media, an interfaith podcast network exploring the ways that we make meaning in modern times. We just launched our new website, newfaithnewmedia.net, so you can head over there to find out more about our shows as well as participate in our discussion forum. That's right. We have a discussion forum, just like the early 2000s, um, except better. Uh, so you can hang out over there and talk about our shows, meet cool people. Um, we also have our Facebook group, uh, and I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Uh, right now, we are completely sponsored by our audience. So 
If you want to support us, you can go to, uh, you can become a monthly member of our Patreon, or you can give a one-time donation through Buy Me a Coffee. Uh, those links are in the show notes. Other ways to support, just tell a friend about our shows. Uh, share this episode with someone who you think might enjoy it. Also, make sure to subscribe to New Faith New Media in whatever podcast app you're listening to so you can keep posted on our future episodes. Uh, we are a wee baby podcast network. We've been together for about a year now, and uh, we're trying to grow and make space for uh, these open-minded, nerdy discussions about spirituality and faith. Anyway, uh, that's it for me. Back to the conversation. Um, so that's amazing. Um, and I I want to know, like, well, first of all, how did the titles come to you? Because these titles are, they're, they're a lot. So we have The Last Transmission, There Are Men Who Will Never See the Dawn, um, Broken Toys on the Anvil of the Gods. So like the, what was the relationship of the titles and the creation of the tracks? The tracks were named... The tracks were named after the tracks were cut. Once I had a track cut and I had decided to keep it, then I named the track. Oh, cool. Um, and the track would have been named based on what the track was telling me. Like once I had it done and it was set, I'd listen to it half a dozen times and I would say, what is this track telling me? And then I would name it off that. So like... The last transmission, the opening track of the album, it was named because there is a sound in there which, to my ears, literally sounds like a transmission that is bouncing off of a satellite and just ping-ponging around looking for a receiver that it's never going to find. So that's how it got its name. There are men who will never see the dawn got its name because just the rhythm of it spoke to me of uh, a column of marching soldiers mm. headed off to somewhere that they will never reach. You know, it was that sort of, it was always what the track told me within the context of the album's concept hmm. that that is so cool like I, I i love how you talk about your album and this idea that it's like it's what the track told me or uh i, I and and how there is this like it, it is the heart of the spiritual creative practice right of like just being so locked in that you can like you make the thing and then you step back and you look at the thing and like it becomes this other it's its own entity. Mm -hmm. Um how does that how does that process like um I guess how do you articulate that 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 process and sort of what's happening 
on the spiritual level with that? Hmm. Good question. I think for me, you know, on a spiritual level, there's something primordially transformative Mm. about the act of creation. Like when we bring something out of nothing, we are inherently transforming that thing. So for me, the amount of work that goes into creating an album which I can look back on music for the waste then and go, oh, that wasn't that very, that wasn't that much. And yet I can look at all of the drafts that are still on my, on my Mac, all of the, the failed mixes and the, the cuts that didn't make it. And I can go, oh yeah, how many hours did I spend on this stupid thing? And go, yeah, no, it, this was process. <laughs> this was, capital C creation. This was, this wasn't just, you know, a labor of love. This was work. This was, this took discipline to make happen. And I think that's true with spiritualities as well, is that any spiritual practice worth its weight and maintaining or transforming your life requires discipline. And any act of creation that will have a positive net effect on your life requires discipline to complete and get done. Maybe I'm just a Capricorn tooth. <laughs> Maybe I, I don't know what, what the Capricorn tricks are. That's a beautiful way to put it. And you circled back. You circled back without me having to circle it back. Um this yes 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 uh it's in a way the creative process is this like micro project within the larger project of living yes I mean, um, cooking cooking is a good example you take water and pasta and you put the pasta in the water and then you have spaghetti mm-hmm it's transformative in its creation, but it still took a little bit of discipline to get it done and done al dente. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The concept's the same, just yeah. red macro. And it's interesting because the word the word discipline like does have like a weird a weird, you know, shell around it, right? Uh but I'm I'm curious like what I, I know my relationship with that word is trying to reframe it as like gentle reparenting and like talking to your the the inner toddler that's like eh, I didn't want it. and it's like nope <laughs> <laughs> I will give you snacks later <laughs> uh but uh but it does have an edge of like there's the there's the gentle self discipline and then there's the uh, more aggressive, like you must be disciplined or you're trash discipline. And I'm curious about your relationship with that, with that word. Cause it's, it's refreshing to hear it just like said in this nice light way. I come at the word discipline from the Jesuit angle. Okay. Uh, which is very much the, I guess gentle reparenting is a good way to phrase him, but it's also more 
there are things that we have to do in life. There's a structure to the things that we have to do in our life. And to achieve the things that we need to do in our life, here is the structure that we have to follow. Mm. Therefore, we follow it. Mm -hmm. And it is flexible and it is gentle, but we have to follow it. And I mean, I know that some of that also comes from I have to wake up and take my meds and eat my breakfast and do my things. And because otherwise, I end up in the hospital mm. having open heart surgery again. I don't want that. Not great. <laughs> right. Not great. So there's, there's a structure. There's a discipline to the structure. Mm. And I guess for me, it's just I follow the structure. Yeah. By following the structure, good things happen. I follow the structure. Yeah, and and uh, it's it, it's that definitely resonates with with me because uh, I've just come out of the, the I think the 2020 moment was very much like I have no structure. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true for a lot of people, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> And like just becoming like how pain like painfully aware of how much I needed structure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so that's that's been something I've been I've been contemplating a lot is like, okay, like, but how much structure is too much structure? You know? Daryl, you're also a poet, and I'm curious um sort of what that process is like compared to your musical process. Mm. Good question. Poetry and music, and for that matter, fiction, are parallel tracks. You know, and it, and for me, it all starts from. There's always, see, it's hard because. How do you describe the point of Genesis? Like, how do you describe that initial point of Genesis, and how do you just how do you describe the inability to replicate it on demand. So I would say that my points of genesis for all three of those avenues stem from sometimes it's a phrase that I might you know, sometimes I might get a phrase in my head, like there's a, a phrase that I've been trying to figure out if it's a song lyric or if it's a fiction lyric or if it's a, or if it's a song lyric. Uh, and I've got it fairly well developed out. And I think it's a, I think it's a song. Um, I'm almost certain it's a song, but I don't know what the, I don't know what the song, I don't know what the music around it sounds like yet. Um, but, you know, that started from a, just a phrase. Um, but I've had songs start from a riff when I was practicing scales on the guitar. But I think the point that follows the Genesis moment is the more important one because regardless of what I'm working on, the point that follows the Genesis moment is the same. Mm. 
Hmm. Whether it's a poem, whether it's a story, whether it's music. Because the point that follows the Genesis moment is sitting with that foci of inspiration and saying, okay, what are you telling me? Hmm. And then recording it as much of as it will come, not forcing it, but recording it somewhere where I won't lose it which in most cases is the notes app on my phone. And then coming back to it later to see what else is there. And if there's more, we develop it. If not, it sits there until it reveals itself or it gets deleted because I think it's stupid. <laughs> I, I love, I love that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, this idea that, it's you have these different flavors of Genesis moment, but it's like Genesis moment, and then you have like a meeting with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the yeah, and and I definitely uh depending on how inspiration picks up, it's like, oh yeah, this okay, great. Uh let's have our pitch meeting. Okay. I'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> My people will contact your people. <laughs> <laughs> My people will contact your people. And then you go from there. That is such a, that's actually a really healthy way to organize that too. Because sometimes you have a lot of pitch meetings in your brain and you're doing other things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, part of, yeah, so part of that discipline is like, okay, I'm going to trust that I will come back to this initial impulse and ah uh, it, it's i i'm sort of reframing like how to think of that that initial impulse now this idea that cuz and and definitely let me know if this if this resonates with you but there can sometimes be a moment of this is a brilliant idea and I must capture it right now or I will lose it forever because the muse is here and I must connect with the muse and drop everything. Um, mm -hmm. And that can be very, you know, that. and when you have the time to do that, do the thing, but perhaps the more healthy approach is just to treat those impulses as pitches and just like meet with them. Like, like there's now a mental secretary in your creative process. <laughs> a, a lot of what I have, a lot of what I have sort of fallen into is trusting that even when the muse shows up and is like, I am here and here is all of the stuff you will ever have in your entire life is being able to look at the muse and go <laughs> as if. Are you high? <laughs> I know you're, I know you, I know I'm your favorite toxic waste dumping ground. You'll be back. <laughs> That's, oh, well, that's just its own character. Like, 
What is, what is, what is your muse look like? <laughs> mean. <laughs> Cruel. Yeah. My mine is mine is just very chaotic or very like very like um just a just a hive mind improv team that also does production management. Oh yeah, that seems about right for you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, is this a is this a poem idea? Is this a song idea? Oh wait, this is how I would promote this idea. This is like my five point promotion plan for this idea that I haven't even created. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. Yep. <laughs> just rolling in with all of her ideas, and it's like, okay, but so I actually think the mental secretary is something I want to use now. <laughs> like, when it's like, ma'am, <laughs> this is business hours. <laughs> Leave a message, we'll get back to you. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, Yeah. You know, it's funny because the, the question I usually wrap things up with is where does inspiration live in your body? Uh, which we could, I will ask you that anyway, but I, my new question might be like, personify your muse, because that was very good. <laughs> I, I, I'll answer the personify your muse question, and I would say that mine looks like a tanker truck that is marked with every kind of hazardous material placard you can imagine. That mm-hmm. is my muse. Yep. Oh my gosh. And and I think I think my muse is like me except like i think she's in her 60s and is like kind of tired of some shit but is also like just a, has had too much coffee yeah i can see that yeah yeah and she wears flowy dresses and has uh a lot of tattoos because yes because yes but they're all very like like G-rated, like happy sunshine flower tattoos. <laughs> because yes. Yeah, because yes. And that's my muse. <gasps> oh my gosh. Um this this conversation has okay, so first of all, like um what what all is going on for you? Like what's going on for you creatively right now? Do you have anything you want to share or send people to uh people are welcome the band the music for the wasteland album is still available on Bandcamp. uh people are welcome to check it out uh i'd be more than happy to take their money um if they so if they're so inclined um other than that i mean lockdown you know the the not lockdown i really despise that term um I'm kind of waiting to see as the job market reopens and seeing where that takes me Hmm. and seeing what that means. I'm working on stuff for new albums and working on some other stuff. But other than that, it's kind of business as usual out here in the quad cities. Hmm. Very cool. Um, Yeah. Before we close out, I guess any like final 
thoughts or I guess bits of wisdom to leave the audience with? Yeah. One. It's actually a story. I was asked once what how I understand the divine. And the answer I gave then still holds true. And it's that we're, we each hold a piece of a darkened mirror, you know, like a broken mirror, sharp, jagged, probably cut a few of us. And we only understand ourselves and the divine better when we stick those jagged pieces of that mirror together, no matter how imperfectly they may fit. And the more pieces we put together, the better we are together. I think if we did a lot more shutting up about why it won't work and started doing a little bit more figuring out how to make it work regardless, it might do a little bit better about making the world a little bit better place. And I think that's about my final thought for my cranky butt over here in the Quad Cities. <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, I'm just like, mirror tap. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thank you for listening to Faith and What Resonates. Our theme song is My Journey, My Song, an original composition I wrote back when I was 19, uh, which has special meaning that would be its own podcast episode. You can find out more about how to connect with Andrea through links in the show notes. And also, uh, all of the New Faith New Media links are there too. This is my last episode of this batch of episodes. I'm actually going to take a hiatus uh, during the summer uh, from the podcast in order to work on my next album. Yay! So um, if you want to keep posted on that and sort of plug in with what I'm doing as an artist, you can go to gailgallagermusic.com or I've put my uh, social links in there as well. I will still be doing some crossovers on uh, different uh, New Faith New Media shows and involved in different capacities with New Faith New Media, but I am pausing my podcast for a little bit so I can work on my music. Uh, So that is what is happening. Again, thank you so much for listening. And remember to stay curious and keep following the magic of the things that resonate.